Uh, welcome everyone. It's good to have you here this morning and I pray that you've had a good week. pray that your week's been um, uh, not too busy, maybe not too stressful, but I pray that this morning, more importantly, as we come to listen to God's word, uh, that our hearts are open to hear what he has to say. We live in a world today where there's a lot of talk about, um, uh, you know, making sure that we look after ourselves. You know, there's talk about eating well and there's, you know, problems with obesity and people talk about these things and every now and again that comes up on the news. And, uh, and at the neglect of sometimes how people uh, feed their souls, you know, the idea of making sure that our souls are fed in a way that is nourishing to them, in a way that makes sure that even though we might be outwardly looking really good, uh, perhaps sometimes uh, with a lot of cases inwardly people are very malnourished, you know, they, they lack a lot of depth inwardly. And um, I think of today and all the churches around the world that are preaching and hearing the gospel, uh, I pray that this morning what people are being fed is food that will nourish their souls, food that will give them life, food that will help them to press on and have the strength and the energy to keep going, uh, to allow their souls to be fed with food that will help. Um, and we've got to be very careful but during the week as well that we're listening to things and we're reading things and we're reflecting on things that are nourishing to our souls, you know, that are helping our souls rather than um, perhaps, you know, um, hurting them in some ways. Um, so there, there is a lot of, there's a lot out there and I pray that uh, this morning what we hear is words of truth and may God help us this morning to continue to, to do that. Uh, so welcome this morning if you are here for the first time, welcome uh, if you, uh, more importantly, if your heart's desire to hear what God has to say to you this morning, I'd like to welcome you so you can receive what the Lord has to share with you, what the Lord has to teach you and what the Lord as your creator wants to give you this morning. So let's pray this morning, let's ask God's blessing on his word, his most precious word, the very thing he has left us. Uh, so that we can be fed the words of truth, that our, our, souls, our souls can be nourished this morning. Lord, we come before you and your goodness and your mercy. We are forever grateful for your most precious word that continues to speak into our lives, that continues to nourish us and strengthen us. And this morning we pray that every heart that is listening is open and ready to receive. Father, you come in times and places that we uh, do not expect and in ways we do not expect. And we pray this morning, no matter where we are at, how we are feeling and who we are, that we come believing that you're a good God who is ready to speak to us, build us, and restore us. Lord, we pray your blessing upon all that is said and done. We pray for the message that is being preached all over the world, that it is food that is good and nourishing to the soul. We pray for all those among us that are unwell and, or grieving or hurting, that you continue, Lord, to be there for them, providing and strengthening and encouraging. 
And we just commit this time to you and all that is said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I want to start this morning just, just reminding ourselves, reminding us all there's some really beautiful truths that as Christians that we are so fortunate to have and to know and that are ours. You know, like ours. Like someone gives you a really precious jewel and says to you, here, here's a precious jewel for you. It's yours. You know, don't give it away. It's yours to keep. And it is wonderful, precious jewels that sometimes we may forget we have. That we may perhaps get um, distracted with things and we, we, we need to be reminded of some wonderful truths and gems that we have as Christians that the world doesn't have. And in fact, sometimes the world turns it around, maybe because they're so jealous and they make fun of these truths. But they are incredible truths that Christians hold on to and only Christians do. For example, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. So we hold on to the only way to the Father. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, think about it. Go and find any other path you would like. Go and search and research as much as you want on this earth. And the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And we have this. Doesn't that warm your heart? Don't you, don't, aren't you humbled and, and um, so grateful to the fact that you have found the only way to the Father? Or God has found you probably more accurately. That you walk a path that is destined without any doubt whatsoever to go straight to the Father and into eternity. Beautiful. No one else has this. No matter how glamorous it looks, what people present, no one else can declare they know the only way. Wonderful truth that we have when Jesus taught us, he said in John 3, that unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What a wonderful truth. That not only, not only do we know the only way, but we have an experience in our lives called the new birth, the rebirth, that the Christian can celebrate and acknowledge and know that the way to the Father is through this rebirth. Now, this born again isn't a title. It's not something that you uh, call yourself, but this wonderful experience where the old becomes new. The bondage becomes free. You know, that pain of the past becomes something the Lord restores and turns into his likeness. And we are called born again. It's wonderful. That God has chosen that the new birth by his spirit and by his word would happen in your heart. And then we have this wonderful truth the Bible tells us about and as he's coming back again. So we're on the way. We're there because he has re-given birth again to our hearts and he's coming back. He's coming back for his church. He's coming back to take us and to find us and, and protect us. He's coming back and this world will never be the same. All these truths that we have as Christians, we have because we know him. And nobody, nobody can uh, rob us of these things. 
to be encouraged, be reminded. Let your hearts be warmed at the fact that these are truths that nobody can steal steal from you. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has come as a shepherd, as a, as a saviour to this world. And, and I know God is working, God is working in many, many different ways around this world. And, and in, in so many different countries, in so many different ways, God is working in this world. And yet what it continues to amaze me that in all of God's work around this globe, he continues to be very, very interested in this one little thing that's called my heart. You know, he's interested in this because I know he knows that if he has all of this all of this everything about me every every emotion every attitude every commitment every devotion everything about me this thing we call the heart that he knows if if I if he has this he has it all and so imagine think about it for a moment the God who is intervening in the whole of this globe is particularly interested in what's going on in the battlefield of your heart because it's like a tug of war in your heart. It's like a tug of war. It's like, it's like, it's like there is this wrestle sometimes that goes on. You ever watched a tug of war game or you've played one? And this this idea of a wrestle between two people or, or groups of people who are trying to bring the person, the other group over the line. And sometimes I'm sure you find yourself in this tug of war and, and God is, God is going to win either way. He's going to win. And the call today is to be able to say, Lord, here it is, I give it to you. This Here, I surrender it up to you. And in all that God is doing is, he's, you know, we can fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it, but he's going to win at the end of the day. And I love the fact that he's, he is calling us in all this that's going on in this world. He's particularly interested in what is happening in our hearts. And I pray this morning as we reflect on God's word that we are really, really honest with him, really honest with God about where this little thing that lies in our body is called the heart, where it is before him. That's really what matters at the end of the day. Where is it? Where does it lie before him? And so I want to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Um, Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, about a, a man who came to Jesus and was, was interested in, in, um, in knowing him more, I suppose, and interested in knowing the things of God more. And and I guess what Jesus was really doing was, was really getting to the bottom of where his heart was at. Much like what we're doing today, much what happens a lot in our lives and as I've been sharing. So in a moment we're going to read from um, Mark chapter 10 verse, from, from verse 17. But I want you to think a little bit about how we actually go about me- measuring measuring this thing we call goodness you know if I said to you if I said to you tell me what's good how would you go about measuring what's good if I said to you tell me explain to me someone who you know is good how would you just go how, how would you even go ahead trying to describe to me someone that's good or someone who does goodness what's our measure what's our benchmark around a good goodness and sometimes what we do is we, just, we define goodness on just what we think is good. You know, we might say, you know, it is, I'm good because this is good because I, don't, because I do this. You know, I might do good things. I might help people. And we define goodness in this way. Or we might define goodness um, perhaps by things we don't do. 
You know, I'm good because I don't hold grudges. Or I'm good because I don't lie. You know, and we, 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 um, we measure goodness perhaps by the things we do or the things that we don't do. Or maybe we measure goodness by um, what people think about us. You know, if enough people say, oh boy, you're good, or you hear it around in your office, or you hear it around perhaps your families, or, you know, people say things about you and they describe you as a good person, perhaps if you hear it long enough and enough in your life, you start to believe, oh, that must be good, because, because a lot of people say I'm good. And perhaps there's a, there's a, um, a risk in, in, in trusting in or finding some comfort in the fact that people enough people in your life, maybe the people who love you more as well, describe you as good. I don't know. Maybe there's something about that that needs to be challenged a little bit. Or maybe we define our goodness by the way we compare ourselves to other people. You know, maybe we find some comfort in goodness because we say to ourselves, you know, but you haven't seen what so-and-so does in the office. Yeah? Or if I told you what this person does that I know, and we find some goodness as we're talking about other people, we kind of climb up the social ladder or the the moral ladder in our own minds, and we say to ourselves, well, you know, I tell you what, I'm I'm not that, I'm all right, but that person, you should see what that person does. And we elevate our goodness because we compare it to someone who is not as good. I mean, who are you going to compare it with? I mean, often the way you're going to make yourself feel better is by comparing it with someone who's not as good as you. But all these things in which we measure goodness fall short to some extent. They fall short of what really is goodness. And as we develop these thoughts over the years from children to young people to adults and what people tell us and how we compare ourselves, as we begin to form this this, um, image of what is good, all of a sudden, what, all we need is like a, a, like a pinprick to a balloon. All we, what we need is something that comes along called the truth to come along and pop all our goodness away. If we're hearts are ready to hear it. And there's this story of this man who I think would have had this inflated idea of goodness in his own mind that he comes to Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus in his heart is feeling like a pity for him. Like this pity towards this man and almost to the point of, oh, poor man, he thinks he's good. And, And he wants to somehow gently and lovingly reveal to this man that he's not as good as he thinks he is. But how do you do that without offending someone? Have you ever tried doing that? And so there's this beautiful dialogue between this man and Jesus where this man is coming with one intention and Jesus has another intention and it, all, it sort of it reaches a point, a climax where this man just walks away. But what happens in between is really interesting and that's what I want to share with you this morning. What happens in between this, this conversation or this dialogue between this man and Jesus. So let's read it together. Verse 17, verse 17 to 22. Now, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
There is no one good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He answered and he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Amazing, isn't it? Face to face with Jesus, so close, so close to the Savior, to the point where he could touch the Savior. He's listening to the Savior. He's got him before, he's got him like his counselor. Lord, tell me something about this. And so close, and yet he finds himself walking away. So true, so reflective of so many people who come extremely close to Jesus but never actually even get there because something continues to get in the way between them and the Lord and that something is this wrestle in their heart that can't just quite get over the line. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Think about this. Isn't it true that we all have sinned? I mean, is anyone in this room that would say confidently that they've always done the right thing? Isn't it true that we all can admit to ourselves that we've done something that we know is wrong before God if we believe in God and we believe in his moral position, we believe in who he is and how holy he is? Isn't it true that we can all honestly say, yes, we've done something that we know is wrong before God? Isn't it true if that's the case that we all stand in a place that we say that we need his grace? That without his goodness and his mercy that there is absolutely no way in the world that things can change in our lives? So this man has the opportunity to deal with that. His opportunity to deal with that with Jesus. And in verse 17, the first thing we see, we see a very eager and desperate man. We see a very eager and desperate man, like a lot of people who just at the start of their journey or they started their interest with the Lord, are very eager and keen to find out more. And we know this man is eager and keen because the Bible tells us that he came, he was going out onto the road and someone came running. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you're not, generally, if you're not eager, you don't run to something. Unless it's urgent in some ways, unless it's important for you in some ways, unless you feel like you're limited with time in some ways, you don't run towards something. And I can only imagine someone's spoken to this man perhaps early in the day, he's left his house, someone's told him where Jesus is, and in his heart he's running and he's panting and he's running and he's panting because he just wants to get to this man who, who might be able to give him his great desire of eternal life. So he's keen and he's eager. 
And it says a lot to me and it reminds me so much in life and it's sobering. It reminds me so much that keenness and eagerness is not a reflection of spirit being spiritually strong because keenness and eagerness can just be a zeal to want to know something. And this man was really, really keen and eager and he comes running and you'll find that what he does, he kneels before Jesus. It's like a bit of a pattern that I've been sharing with you over the last few weeks. Some people like Peter and others who found themselves humbled or kneeling before Jesus, somehow acknowledging that what he had was something great and something powerful and something truthful. And so this man comes eager, running, comes kneeling before Jesus with a question. And it's a question that rarely gets asked today. His question was was quite profound. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It really gets asked today. I think it's one of those questions that on the scale of questions has dropped over the years. You know, has dropped. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, now today, you've got to get people to even believe there is an eternal life let alone to even ask the question, what is eternal life? Uh, Give me eternal life. And so this question is a question that over the years has become less interested in people, have become less interested in it, but it's still one of the most profound and important questions that we need to ask. And this man asks it of Jesus. Today, people might come up to you and say, oh, what what must I do to become uh, healthier? What must I do to become wealthier? What must I do to become more comfortable? What must I do to become a better person, uh, have more joy in my life? And people got a lot of questions of what they need to do to become these things. But the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is not asked that often anymore. I think, I think, and I could be wrong, it's because people, generally our societies, become so inward focused about who they are and how their life is impacted by things that they're not not capable of thinking that there's life after this life. And so he asked this really, really important question, of course, the question of eternity. And that got me thinking. When we think think of eternity, that one of the first things I thought to myself was Arthur, Arthur Stace. Remember Arthur Stace, the, uh, the man in Sydney that would just, uh, between about 1930 and 1960, he just wrote eternity everywhere. Just capturing the minds of the people in Australia, capturing the minds of the people around the world. From a man who grew up in poverty, would steal to, for his food, just to, um, you know, being... Um, consuming alcohol in his teenage years and having a conversion. And after his conversion, hearing a message that spoke these words, for thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And he began from that, this passion to tell the world about eternity. He was being interviewed once and he said this, that eternity 
I think when you heard this message, eternity went ringing through my brain and suddenly I began crying and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. Now this is a man who we're told wasn't even able to write well, but he had this beautiful ability to write in this script, eternity. He goes in the interview and says, the word eternity came out smoothly in this beautiful copper plate script. I couldn't understand it, he said. I still can't. And he would write this word everywhere. And we know so much so that on the Sydney Harbour Bridge in 1999 on New Year's Eve, what was, what was on the bridge? Eternity. The way he wrote it. And the world got a chance to see. Lit up in lights, this eternity. Did it make him any better? Interesting, isn't it? And they come so close to eternity, the one who inhabits eternity, and yet are so far. And this man was the same. He comes and he asks a very relevant, important question. What must I do to inherit eternity? And so Jesus' response is really interesting. It's almost like he he deviates into another place and he says, why are you calling me good? And I love this question of Jesus asking, why do you call me good? Because I think over the years I've been a Christian... Over the many years I've been a Christian, I know this is one question or one statement Jesus made that Christians love to discuss. What did Jesus mean by that? What did he say? Why do you call me good? And I, I know it's a, um, it's a question people love talking about and they love discussing. Was Jesus talking about his deity? Was Jesus talking about his humanity? Was he, what was he trying to reflect? What was he trying to tell this man? Was he trying to tell this man secretly that he was God? But did he know that he was God? So many kinds of interpretations of this script, of this passage that people like to entertain and discuss and to think about. And, and good on him. Go for it. Talk about it. But I think... What Jesus is really trying to do, the, the teaching primarily isn't on his deity, on his humanity, but his teaching primarily here is about the concept of goodness. What is goodness? What's good? What are you calling me good for? What's good? It's like someone saying to someone else, um, oh, you're so wise. And the person comes back and says, oh, what's wisdom? Not because the person isn't wise, but the person wants this other person to understand something about wisdom. Do you understand? And I think what Jesus is doing here quite cleverly and quite compassionately, wanting to ask this man something about goodness. Because Jesus knew that the only goodness is the goodness that's found in God. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1 that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Thought about that lately? That God is light and in God there is no darkness. There can be nothing in God that is not good. That the very existence of God, the very character, nature of God is good. We say it all the time, God is good. And this is where God's goodness is beyond our understanding and our reasoning because how do you comprehend something that is always good? But John confirms that for us and he says he's light. Look Look as far as you want and as deep as you want, but you'll never find darkness in God. That's reassuring. And the psalmist then says in 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. 
The psalmist also says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so this goodness of God is something we, we somehow, we kind of get close to understanding, but perhaps it's beyond even more our comprehension. But at the end of the day, we know and we are confident and we can rest comfortably knowing God is good. And what this Jesus, I think, is trying to say to this man is, do you understand what goodness is? What are you measuring it with? Who are you comparing it with? What, what standard have you reached for you to understand goodness? Let me tell you something about goodness. And that's why Jesus then does what he should do and lists all the commandments to him. He says to him, you know the commandments, verse 19, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud or rob someone of what's theirs. Honour your father and your mother. And he lists what the Jewish people would have understood as goodness and he tells them something about what needs to be done. It's like Jesus is saying this to him. Let's start exploring what you think is good and what goodness really is. I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought for me. What I think is good and then what God wants to tell me what goodness really is. Am I ready to hear what God has to tell me? I don't know, is it only me? But when I think of the idea of taking my idea of goodness and bringing it before what God's idea of goodness is, I get nervous. Because all of a sudden, what people think about me doesn't matter anymore. All of a sudden, what I think about me doesn't really matter anymore. All of a sudden, everything that I've done that people say, well done, fantastic, you're great, you're good, oh, there's nobody like you, it doesn't matter anymore. And all my accomplishments and my achievements don't really matter anymore because when I bring what I think is good before a holy God, all I'm really interested in is what he thinks is good. And if I believe and trust that there is a God who's good, then I need to know what is it, Lord, that you're you're trying to say to me. And so he lists these commandments to this man and perhaps Jesus knew this man in all his best efforts tried to do these things, but Jesus in his heart would have known this man failed miserably of these things. And so while this man was able to say perhaps he didn't commit adultery and he didn't steal and he didn't bear false witness and he honoured his father and his mother, perhaps this man in his own mind was able to say these things. What I believe Jesus is trying to do is to usher in really what goodness is. Because sure, think about us today. Many of you can tick the box, I've never committed adultery. But Jesus digs deeper. He says, tell me about your lust. Tell me about where your mind goes with people you shouldn't be thinking about, things you shouldn't be looking at. And he digs deeper, doesn't he? Because this is the goodness of God. Not my perception of goodness. This is what brings me and us to our knees when we come before our good and holy God and we say, Lord, reveal my heart. 
And sure, we can tick a box that says, I've never murdered anyone before. Ask anyone, I haven't killed anyone before. Sure, but is there this bitterness and hate in my heart that just doesn't want to go away? And all of a sudden, I have to be honest with myself. Because what God, what Jesus is ushering for this man is not the idea of all the things you can tick off in your own mind or people say about him, but really what is the goodness of God? And we can tick off boxes like I've never stolen before, but then I have real big problems with greed and jealousy in my heart. Boy, I wish I had that. People who are happy have that. People who are satisfied have that. That's why I'm not, that's why I'm miserable because I haven't got that. And sure, I can tick off that I've never bear false witness. I always, you know, I, I always, um, if someone asks me a question, I, I tell them the truth, but then in my own heart, there's dishonesty about other things. Sure, I don't dishonor my mother and my father, but there is a dishonor to my heavenly father. And what God is revealing to us is something, all he's revealing to us is something about our need for his grace and the power of his spirit. So what does verse 20 say when Jesus lists these things? So the man answered and said to Jesus, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Do you see how you can convince yourself of your goodness? Can you see how it's really easy to convince yourself? I've kept all these things from my youth. I don't think he's kept them all from his youth. No one has. But it's really easy to start to convince yourself of these things and certainly to somehow think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And so Jesus' response in verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him, loved him and said to him. It's like, a, a, like this, this compassionate love that says, you don't really understand, do you? You don't really understand, do you? It's like he's saying to him, okay, let me demonstrate to you another way. Let me really get to the bottom of it. You haven't quite got it yet, but let me really get to the bottom of goodness. Let me get to what's going on in your heart. And that's why he tells him in verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And take up and then come, take up the cross and follow me. Wow. Because Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the one thing in this man's heart that really in all the boxes that he tried to tick in life, at the end of the day, what was going on in his heart was this element where he couldn't, there's something he just could not let go of. And that therein, in his heart, he needed to address because unless that is addressed in our hearts, unless the very thing that we hold, we pull back, we're not prepared to let go of, how in the world are we ever going to move forward? 
So Jesus, okay, you're ticking all the boxes in your own mind of what's good, but let me tell, okay, let me be frank with you now. This, this, you've got to get rid of. Okay, no one can see it, but I can see it. I know what it is. You've got to get rid of it. Pick up your cross. It's a cross of death. It's a cross that denies yourself. It's a cross that's prepared to surrender everything to the Lord and come follow me. This, this will inherit your eternal life. Because you're not holding on to anything. You're letting go of this world. You're trusting in God. You're trusting me with everything. You're not trusting in your goodness. I think it's remarkable. And by him revealing his heart, I think Jesus did him a huge, huge favor. He says, come, take up your cross and then follow me. This man was sad. He went away sorrowful because the Bible says he had great possessions. I wonder this morning, brothers and sisters, Friends, I wonder this morning, what will it take? How much more will it take for the Lord to speak words of truth into our hearts that will pierce what we think is good and get straight to the point of what we still hold on to and allow ourselves a place where we say, Lord, you see it all. You see it all. And no amount of goodness that is uh, seen by others or thought of myself will cut it, will do it. I need to bring this very thing, these very things before you. So yes, I can confidently say maybe I haven't committed adultery, but what about my love for the world? I can confidently say I haven't murdered, but what about the bitterness I carry around theft? But what about my greed, false witness? What about lying to myself, dishonoring? What about my dishonoring to my heavenly father? I can bring all these things before you, Lord, and it's that, it's that I have to let go of. to experience a wonderful relationship with the Lord, to let go and inherit the very gift of God. We, we serve a God who sees all things, don't we? The Bible tells us quite remarkably, wonderfully, that the Lord, that all things are naked before the Lord. That we serve a God who sees the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And isn't it funny that we choose to try and cover up, hoping that our goodness will somehow get us through. But as we sit this morning and we think, just think, Lord, all the goodness that I've achieved, what is that's really going deep within me? What is it that I'm trying to cover up? What is it that I still choose not to bring before you? That, that thing has to come out. That thing has to be surrendered. That thing can be the, could be the very thing that inhibits or prevents eternal life. Because the Lord is trying to work and bring salvation. The Lord is trying to work and set you free. And I wonder if this morning, by God's grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit, that we would be prepared to be prepared to bring that thing before the Lord. It could be a number of things. But knowing that if we do, his grace and his compassion awaits us to restore, to forgive, and to heal. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads before the Lord this morning.
nothing a man can say this morning. Once, let me say it this way to everyone. No matter, nothing I can say will comfort you once the Lord reveals what we're holding on to in our hearts. If the Lord has revealed that this morning to you, there is nothing I can say that will comfort you until you say to the Lord, Lord, here it is. For this man, the Lord revealed something that was very precious to him that he wouldn't let go of. He wasn't prepared to take up his cross. He wasn't prepared to lay it all down. He wasn't prepared to give it all up. And we can uh, argue and negotiate and, 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 and find another way or explain it another way, but at the end of the day, the Lord knows what is going on. And if he compassionately, lovingly has revealed anything to us this morning, then that, that before we move forward, must be laid down before him. It must. And we find no comfort in our goodness, but rather in the power of his spirit working in our lives. I encourage you this morning to find only comfort in God's forgiveness, God's grace, and God's healing.